Hey, Mark. Hey. You ever hear that old joke about how the person who represents themselves in court has a fool for a client? I have heard that, yes. Yeah. Same thing goes for people who get their legal advice from a podcast. Dopes. Dopes. Don't do it. Hostile work environment. Exactly. Hey, an appropriate workplace topic. Hostile work environment. Shut up. I'm the human resources director. Little Miss Hostile Work Environment. Hello and welcome to the Hostile Work Environment with Mark and Dennis. I'm Dennis. And I'm Mark. Good morning. Good morning. What's going on in the world, Mark? Oh, it's a beautiful sunny day in Portland. It is now. It, it, we actually had thunder at my house. Did you? An hour ago. Well, I coming in here to my office, Studio B, yeah. uh, about an hour ago, I had a couple of raindrops. But now, as I look out the window, I see sunlight. Yeah, I'll so take it. we will both take that. Yeah. And uh, what else is going on in the world? The, the thing that's permeated the world this week, as far as I can tell, is Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, back from the figurative grave of I, I have no idea what Rudy Giuliani's been doing for the last like year and a half. Well, I know what something he hasn't been doing for the last twenty years or so. Like like practicing law. Practicing law. It kind of shows he might be a little rusty. I think maybe he's a little rusty. He's trying to balance the lawyering with the public relations, and maybe not doing the right thing in either. Yeah, he he you know. We talked about this on the show a while ago. I did a uh, an actual trial for the first time in like seven years a while ago. I recall that, yes. At my old job, I didn't actually get to do trials very much. And, you know, I noticed I had to shake off the rust. Yeah. So let's but after just, watching we'll just give Rudy some for the last yeah. couple of weeks, I'm feeling really good about you my, should. my performance. You should. You, you, you are a paragon of competence by like, comparison. No one accused me. Of implicating my client's guilt in any criminal conspiracies. And, and you presumably were not representing the president of the United States. I was in not. That. So go Dennis. Go me. <laughs> That's what I've taken away from Rudy Giuliani's week is that Dennis is an awesome lawyer. As are you, Mark. As well, are you. pretty much every lawyer I've ever met in comparison to Rudy's week <laughs> has been doing really good. And that includes some people that have been disbarred. That's that's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, go us. Go, go all the lawyers out lawyers. there who are having a better week than Rudy. And thank you, Rudy, for you know providing a shining example for the rest of us. It's been entertaining. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I think um, we have kind of the disclaimer of all disclaimers to give today. Yeah. So I wanted to address a topic that I think is a very serious and legitimate topic that needs to be talked about on this show. It's something that HR people need to be aware of. It's something employment lawyers really need to know and understand. It's something that I have dealt with in my practice many, many times, and that is profanity. Oh. Well, I mean, I knew we were having profane discussions today, but I did not know that that was the actual topic of what you were yeah, this is going to be the actual Bringing topic. To us today. We're just yeah. delving into workplace profanity and the legal implications of such. And I wrestled with how am I going to present this on the show? Do I just sort of, do we bleep it? No. So that this is like still a PG show? No. no. Couldn't do it. Do I like, and I actually heard somebody talk at a, at a, continuing ed presentation this way, they replaced certain swear words with other non-swear words to great comedic effect. I thought it was really effective. Well done. That's kind of like Kristen Bell in The Good Place. Yes. Great example and a great show if you haven't watched it, but they're basically in Mother Forker. And they can't swear. Yeah, they can't swear on broadcast TV. Yeah. A certain word becomes fork. Yeah. Another certain word becomes shirt. Yes. As in bullshirt. Shirt, yeah. Anyway, I thought about doing that, and it I just didn't really think that would fit our show. We are, we're lots of things, but if we're anything, we're genuine. I think so. And I think we, we try to be. real. We do. So I decided we're going to keep it real. So here's the disclaimer. If you have 
small children that you think their minds will be warped by hearing a rather open and frank discussion about workplace profanity? And I will simply note also, and Dennis and I did talk about this in advance, I have a listener story that is of a bit more of a profane and sexual nature than what we would normally have. Right. So that too. So that too. So if any of that sounds like that's not your thing, this might be the time to, you know, listen to some other podcast that, you know. This American Life. This American Life. That's sort of our go-to non-profane <laughs> podcast whenever we have something like this going Radio on. Lab. Radio Lab. A perfect example of something that's safe for children. Yes. Good job, yeah. Brain. Good job, Brain, if they ever record again. My, yeah. My children love that show. Yeah. Anyway, um, you have now been warned. So no nasty emails to me and Mark about like, we didn't like the swearing on that episode. Yeah, if we do get that, it's a bunch of bullshit. It's a bunch of bullshit and you can just fork off. That's right. So (laughs) I want to talk about a few cases. I can't wait. The first one happened at Hooters. Of course it did. That's where else would you start this conversation? So I love this story and I swear you're going to think Dennis just wants to do this so he can say dirty words on the podcast. And while that's partially true, there's actually a point to all of this. Bear with us. So there was a Hooters and I, 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 I believe it was down in Florida. And they have. We have not gone after Florida nearly enough no, on this podcast. We've no. gone. We've had a lot of states, and Florida might actually be number one on the list of states we should have gone after. Oh, by totally. Now. So this is this is your turn, Florida. Yeah. So two female employees were participating in a mandatory bikini contest at Hooters. Sure. They complained to their managers and other employees that the contest was rigged, because you know who the third participant was. It was the Hooters marketing coordinator who was putting on the bikini contest and who selected her best friend and her boyfriend to be the judges. (laughs) So, yeah, it was a fix. So, of course, the marketing coordinator wins. The The two waitresses were really pissed off. And they showed up at a bartender's meeting where the marketing coordinator was awarded the $300 first prize. Wait, so she she coordinated the contest. Picked the judges. Picked the judges. One. One. And then gave herself $300. That's awesome. That is... Class. A little forked up. So, <laughs> at this meeting, one of the um, employees accused her of cheating and loudly, loudly remarked, You're a fucking bitch. I'd expect nothing less. Nothing less. And went into a huge stream of profanities yelling at the marketing coordinator. It went out into the Hooters parking lot. Another employee got into it. What is it? It, The noise or like the The meeting, the fight went out into the parking lot? Yeah, the big big profanity-laced fight. I'm just trying to visualize here. Went. You know, it, it was one of those things where you get into it, right? You, you're having a heated argument, and the argument leaves the meeting room, and it goes out into the parking lot, which is full of other coworkers, a bunch of Hooters guests, and so on and so forth. Those two get fired. Okay. Shocking, right? Shocking. Next up. And this comes out of the Ninth Circuit, so it was in uh, California. Place called Plaza Auto Center. An employee got fired because he cursed out his employer in a meeting about his pay. He he didn't think he was getting paid enough, so he went to go talk to his boss. Sure. He called his manager a fucking crook and an asshole and told the owner of the company that he was stupid and the biggest insult of all, that no one liked him. That's not very nice. That's not very nice. No, I mean, maybe his wages were really yeah. low, um, or, but I don't know if one justifies the other. No. He shoved his chair aside and then told the employer that if the company fired him, that he would live to regret it. That the employer would live to regret yes. it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So the, the pronouns got mixed up there. Sorry. Like, you fire me, I'm going to live to regret it. Well, and he may have, he might, but, but more, I, more to the it's point. It's not what I took his point to be. Usually if you're going to threaten somebody, it's directed at the at person you're threatening. Yes. 
So that's our second case. Third case, at a Starbucks, an employee went on to a tirade about their manager. The employee was mad that his manager wasn't coming to help during a really busy day. And when the manager did finally show up to help, instead of thanking him for coming to his rescue, the employee said, it's about damn time. This is bullshit. Why don't you just do everything your damn self? That almost sounds like the employee's quitting. Almost. And this is in front of customers? Like this is, oh, yeah, totally. This is in like front barista customers. in front of oh, yeah. customers right There's not the a lot of room in, room Starbucks, in Starbucks to do right. anything that's not in front of customers. So for that, he got a final written warning. Six months later, during a heated argument with a different manager in the middle of a union organizing campaign, the same mm. employee in front of several customers told this Starbucks manager, you can go fuck yourself. If you want to fuck me up, go ahead. I'm here. Presumably an invitation to begin fisticuffs. Okay. That guy got fired too. Okay. So three cases. Yes. Three firings. Yes. Other than that they all had profanity and they all involved swearing. Or sorry, they all involved profanity and, <laughs> and they all swearing. Involved swearing. Yeah. Two different things. We'll edit that out. No, we won't. Um, no, we won't. Um, <laughs> they all involved swearing and they all resulted in somebody getting fired. Yes. What else do you think they all had in common? What else do I think they all had in common? That's not the question I was expecting you to ask me. But I bet not. But this is where we get into the legal issue. Well, that's, I thought it was going to be a legal issue. So let me tell you about the legal issue that I think I see in these, which yeah, well, relates to labor law. Ah, labor law. Something we don't talk about nearly enough here. That's right. And the question that I would want to ask myself in each of these incidents is, are they using profanity in a discussion that relates to some term or condition of their employment? A good question. And I think in at least one or two of them, the answer is clearly yes. And I think in one of them, the answer is probably no. But that's not what I feel like that's not – they don't all have that in common. Or maybe they do Actually, all have that in common. Actually, they do okay. all have that so, in common. So Mark, just you kind of hit the nail right on the head. Okay. Well, good. So let me – well, why don't you go? You, you So I, I so first, just as a, a little disclaimer here. So Dennis's practice is very much focused on labor law, whereas mine is dabbling here and there, and I know enough to be dangerous. But <laughs> um, this is an area that we all need to we know We all need to, to know a dangerous. lot about it. So – so here is what happened. And the, the only reason that I know anything about any of these three cases is that they all ended up in front of the National Labor Relations uh, okay. Board. That doesn't mean they won or lost one way or the other. And Got it. in each of the three cases, the National Labor Relations Board found that the speech was protected speech and ordered the reinstatement of the swearing employees. Okay, then. So in the Hooters case, the, the NLRB found that they were complaining about a prize that was a term and condition of their employment. It related to their wages and their total compensation. Okay. And complaining that the contest was rigged was a complaint about the terms and conditions of employment. So let me – so I, I had – I was with you until there. Yeah. But what I remember from the from the not – long summary of facts is that they actually started fighting it was a verbal fight ah it so, wasn't okay. it wasn't uh, in it my wasn't, head they were actually they were in the walls. parking lot and they were actually physically hitting each other and so for me at that hooters if women in bikinis start fighting they do that inside the hooters and there's usually dollar bills involved okay so and maybe jello <laughs> okay so at the Plaza Auto Center case, where the guy called his manager a fucking crook and an asshole and said that nobody liked him, it was in a meeting about his pay. Absolutely. I th it, I th actually, I thought there was no question on right. that one. And in the Starbucks case, which actually did involve a union, union campaign, campaign, yeah, the whole thing was about this guy's complaint about his manager either not helping him or getting involved during their union. Related to terms, terms and conditions of employment all the way. Yeah. So the National Labor Relations Board 
is the federal agency that enforces the National Labor Relations Act, which is the federal law that governs management union relationships. That's right. So do we do we have an issue here on pronunciation at all? NILRA? It's not the NILRA nor the NLRB. So in this case, we are on, definitely on the side of NLRA. NLRA, NLRB, okay. also known as the Act and the Board the for Act those who board. do labor. Yes. Now, you don't have to have a unionized workplace to fall under the purview of the National Labor Relations Act. In Absolutely fact, not. it applies to all workplaces in the United States that meet certain jurisdictional thresholds that almost everybody does. And it governs anybody's discussions or attempts to influence the terms and conditions of their employment as long as they do so in a protected and, and concerted. concerted way, which means joining with other employees to protest a term and condition of your employment. During the Obama administration, the National Labor Relations Board took a very broad view of what was a concerted activity. Yeah, so let's talk about that for a second. So labor law is one of those areas, and you can speak on this a little bit more than I can, but labor law is one of those areas where what is enforced and how it's enforced depends very much on the party that's in power. Correct. In the presidency. Who, whoever is in the White House chooses the five members of the National Labor Relations Board, three of whom are, they basically come from the party in power in the White House. So no matter what, there's always this sort of weird three to two split amongst the five members of the NLRB. And during the Obama administration, when they had five members, and there was a whole bunch of back and forth about getting them confirmed right. by the Senate. Which didn't happen for a very long time. Right. And it put into question some of their actions. But when they had a full complement, three of the five were appointed by the Democrats and two were Republican appointees who usually form the minority of any of the right. five or three member panels. Which means that precedents in labor law tend to flip back and forth. They don't stay precedent for very long until and unless it goes to an actual court of appeals right. in a federal court somewhere. So that's the background. But I know there's listeners that are like, Dennis, you've got to be high on crack because in what universe can you tell your boss to go fuck himself in front of the entire Starbucks and think you're going to keep your job? Well, they might be right on the high on crack part. I'm, I'm. You, you don't know, seem it this six morning. Six months sober. Come on. <laughs> but it seems it's like what bizarro universe do we right. live in where that can be the case? Are there limits? Is there a point at which you just go too far? So here's what the National Labor Relations Board has I done. Think, I think there's a word in here that I'm remembering from my legal studies, that is, where does the conduct finally go over the line? And if I recall, yeah. this is, I'm quizzing myself here a little bit, isn't that word opprobrious? I actually don't have you that. You don't have that word the in front word, of you? I'm pretty sure that's the I one it is. Is egregious. Egregious. Okay. So the National Labor Relations Board many years ago looked at, at a case, it's called Atlantic Steel Company. It was a similar thing where an employee was, you know, be, behaving like a jackass, got in trouble, got fired. And they said, is there a point at which a employee's behavior becomes so egregious that it loses the protection of the act? Right. So that even though you're engaging in a concerted activity, does it lose the protection of the National Labor Relations Act? And they looked at four things. The place of the discussion. Like, is it behind closed doors where it's a private conversation or is it on the shop floor or on the customer floor? Right. The subject matter of the discussion, again, is it terms and conditions of employment or is it just like, you know, hey, boss, I think you're a tool. Um, the nature of the employee's outburst. And that's really one of the ways that the board has continually excused profanity in the workplace is to say, yeah, they didn't articulate themselves in a way that our mothers would appreciate, but they were really, really upset that they lost the bikini contest or that their boss didn't rush to their aid to help them when things were busy. So we understand and forgive them. 
And then finally, whether the outburst was in any way provoked by the employer's unfair labor practices. An unfair labor practice, or ULP, not ULP, unfair labor (laughs) practice is a term of art meaning a violation of the National Labor Relations Act. Like certain forms of unlawful union busting activity would be a, a ULP. So for years, the board looked at those four things and said, yeah, we're going to excuse this or no, we won't excuse this. And the types of things that would lose the protection of the act almost always had to tend towards a physical violence component which, on top of the switch. Which is why on the Hooters case, I thought in hearing those facts, it was physical I violence. Was and I was going that to- it was a physical fight. Right. And that to me would have put it over the line. Right. I will say as we as we sit here just for a moment, I just pulled something up on my computer. Uh-oh. On April 21st, 2017, the US Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit decided NLRB v. Pier 60. Oh. You just totally jumped the gun on what I was going to go into. Okay, then I will stop and pull back on that, <laughs> except to say that the court standard in that case is the word opprobrious. That's all. Damn it, Mark, you and your reading. See, that's that's where I was going to go next because well, go there's there. actually go been there. a change in the law that I wanted to talk about. Well, let's do that. So, Mark jumped the gun, people. <laughs> well, it's it's hard to sit here and have Google and yeah, a computer that computer works. Away. We all always sit here with our computers looking at stuff. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <sighs> Sorry, Dennis. Steal my goddamn thunder. I, what thunder Son did I I haven't stolen bitch. any thunder. Son of a You bitch. heard the thunder this morning, not me. Anyway, so that was all under Atlantic Steel. Okay. But then something happened, and that was called the internet. Have you heard of that? It's what you It's look what I at just screwed to, up to your whole segment whole on. Yes. So the internet happened. And the types of profane rants that employees used to engage at in the, you know, Starbucks lobby or, you know, the the Hooters parking lot move on to different places like Facebook. Yes. Or Twitter or, you know, any of those kind of places. So there was a case that came out in the actual events happened in 2011. But, you know, you know, back when we were still on MySpace and the, Friendster. The wheels of justice. They are none too swift. Pier 60 sounds like Longshoreman, but it's not. It's actually a catering company in New York. Okay. And in 2011, some of the service employees began seeking union representation, as they are wont to do. Sure. One of the guys looking to get represented by a union was named Hernan Perez. And one day Perez's boss told him to stop chit-chatting, spread out, move, move to, you know, do their job, do their job and perhaps do it more quickly than Mr. Perez was doing. 45 minutes after that gentle nudge, Mr. Perez claiming to be upset by the continuing disrespect for our employees wrote the following Facebook post about the supervisor during an authorized break. Ah, I was going to ask, was it during a break? Was he still at work? It is an an epic Facebook post. Okay. This is one of the high points of American jurisprudence right here. Like, Like years from now, we're going to talk about the Magna Carta, the Bill of Rights, the, you know, the whatever <laughs> and Mr. Amendment. Perez's and Mr. Perez's Facebook, Facebook post. Posts. He wrote, Bob, being his supervisor, Bob is such a nasty motherfucker. Don't know how to talk to people. There's then six exclamation points. Okay. Just out in space. Fuck his mother and his entire fucking family. Four exclamation points. Okay. What a loser, loser in all caps, four exclamation points. Best part? So far, so good. Vote yes for the union, eight exclamation points. Okay. That post was publicly accessible, and Perez knew it would be visible to his coworkers. That's why he put it there. He took it down three days later. Okay. Management, however, had already become aware of it. They investigated it. And they fired Mr. Perez. Now, they fired him just two weeks after 
the Pier 60 employees voted to unionize. Fair enough. Mr. Perez filed a National Labor Relations Board charge alleging retaliation for engaging in protected and concerted activities. A judge, that's where the charge goes first, something called an administrative law judge or ALJ, not an ALJ. An ALJ (laughs) issued a decision finding that he had violated the National Labor Relations Act, that Pier 60 had violated the National Labor Relations Act. Pier 60 appealed. A three-member panel of the NLRB affirmed the decision on March 31st of 2015. Okay. Pier 60 still thought that under Atlantic Steel, this was too far. You don't say, fuck your mother and your entire fucking family to your boss. They were trying to say, like, "Eh, you can call your boss a motherfucker, but you don't say, fuck your mother. There's a distinction here that they thought that was egregious and would lose the protection of the act. Okay. So that, that issue went up to the Second Circuit. Yes. And Pier 60 said, come on, this is too much. You can't allow this to go on. And the Second Circuit said, yeah, we're cool with it. And they said, look, it contained vulgar attacks, but the subject matter is about workplace concerns. And guess what? We looked around. Pier 60 puts up with a whole lot of profanity amongst its workers, including its supervisors. You've never terminated or even disciplined an employee for profanity before then. And the location of the comments was an online mode of communication amongst coworkers. It was not in the immediate presence of the coworkers or the customers or anybody else. So they actually thought putting it online made it better, not worse. Interesting. So while vulgar and inappropriate, not so egregious as to exceed the NLRA's protection. Did they think it was a close call? No. They did not seem to be troubled by this. Okay. So, what Pier 60 did that was really interesting is that they threw out the Atlantic Steel test. The Second Circuit didn't buy it. They were like, yeah, that's old. That's antiquated. We're just going to look at the totality of the circumstances. Now, to me, totality of the circumstances is one of those legal buzzwords that says we don't really want a legal standard. We're just going to shoot from our hip. We're just going to evaluate each case on its own particular facts and decide how it feels. And this one, the Second Circuit wasn't bothered by it. So what do we learn from all of this? Here's what I tell clients and have been telling clients for years when they come to me saying, like, this guy just called so-and-so a motherfucker. Can we fire him? And I'll go, like, well, why did he call him a motherfucker? Right. Was he complaining about his job? Was he complaining about his pay? Was he complaining about this, that, or the other thing in such a way that it could be a protected, concerted activity? And if the answer to that is yes, I will sit down with my clients. And some of my clients, you know, I used to work in healthcare for years and years and years. A healthcare system run by nuns. And I have had to sit down with a sister and explain to the sister that while you might find that profanity to be upsetting and inappropriate and, you know, not really conducive to proper patient care, the National Labor Relations Board works with longshoremen and Teamsters and other very rough trades that tolerate a different level of profanity. And in their world, this is just how people talk. So when we go in front of the National Labor Relations Board to try to explain why we need to fire somebody because they called somebody else a butthead, we're going up against a bunch of people that think it's okay to call your boss a motherfucker on the shop floor. Right. We're going to lose. So profanity seems to be getting a pass just about everywhere. So let me let me ask a couple questions about that. Please. First, let's talk about the concerted piece yes. of protected and concerted. So concerted means that is on behalf of more than one person, right? Correct. So how do you know as an employer 
when that Facebook post goes up, if it's concerted, if there's no other information related to it, let's say you can't even tell if it's protected. So like, let's, let's just even move it off of that for a moment, sure. right? And just say, is it my boss is a motherfucker. And that's what, that's all it says. It doesn't say if it's about wages. It doesn't say if it's about a work related condition. It doesn't say anything. It could just be a personal right. opinion. Okay. The How do you know that's protected first? Like start with that. Yeah. And there are some cases that have found that conduct is not concerted. But what the what I have found is that the National Labor Relations Board default is to assume that, well, if they're saying it, there must be a reason, and that reason must be concerted. So they kind of put so the, the reason must, back on the employer to the say The reason like, must be on behalf of other employees? And themselves. Well, yes. I, I assume that they're saying it on behalf of themselves. So if I tell my coworker I'm getting screwed, the board has a tendency to assume that I'm telling that to my coworker because we share a concern about being screwed by our employer and we'll do something about it. So the fact that you have said that to your coworker and your coworker could be like, no, you're full of it. Yeah, totally. Your coworker could be like, you're full of it. And I, I want nothing to do with that. I disagree. That is still concerted. Still concerted because I may have been trying to enlist my coworker in a joint mutual so the cause. act of trying to enlist somebody else itself consists of concerted activity. The very few times that the board will say that is not a concerted activity always involves facts where the person is really clear. I am here on my own behalf, speaking only for myself, only out of my own interests. When I say to you, Mark, you're a motherfucker. So lesson here. Is it protected is more important than is it concerted in terms of an analysis? Because you can almost always assume that unless that very unlikely set of yeah. phrases is uttered from that individual's if mouth. If this is coming from anything that looks like a group setting or directed at a group of or coworkers. Or put in a public place where other coworkers could see yeah. it. Especially then if one of those coworkers clicks like on the post. Oh, yeah. Once you click like, it seems to be concerted. All right. Let Once me, you share, it seems to be concerted. And by the way, if you really want to be clear that this is a concerted activity, do what Mr. Perez did and say, vote yes, go union. Right. In this case, there was no question. <laughs> In this case, there was no question. But what I love about that post is what he really wanted to say is that Bob is a nasty motherfucker. It was really clear that he put that vote yes, go union in there just to make it concerted. Right. 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 Well, and but related to worked. work, related to work. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it still worked. Okay, so a couple of other questions. Yeah, what was the name of the boss again? Bob. Bob. Could Bob sue Mr. Perez for defamation? <sighs> that involves a completely different set of laws. Yes, and he may be able to sue him for defamation. Okay, so having engaged in that behavior under the National Labor Relations Act does not bear on whether it could be definition uh, defamation under tort law. Now, somebody could come along and say, as a defense to a state law defamation claim, that this federal law should govern and somehow privilege his communications. And then it's going to depend on how state courts interpret that. Um, I would not, as a potential defamer, I would not rely on National mm -hmm. Labor Relations Act protection extending to the defamation context. Also, though, as a employer or the target of such, I wouldn't be too excited to run into a state court suing for defamation on something arising out of a union campaign. Because I, I do think a lot of judges would look at that and go, well, yeah, it's a union campaign. Right. Shit happens. Come on. Right. So in this case, let's, you know, Bob doesn't have a whole lot he can do about it. No. Okay. Bob's going to have to pull up his big boy pants and, and know, just deal with a union deal campaign. Deal with it. And union campaigns sometimes get ugly. True. Okay. Another question. Yeah. Is it ever okay? I know the answer to this, but I'm yeah. going to ask you anyway. Is it ever okay to tell your employees that they can't talk about terms and conditions of employment? It is never okay. Okay. So I've had clients in the past where I've discovered wage confidentiality agreements and personnel files. Yeah. Never, never good. Never good. The 
at no point has the National Labor Relations Board ever said that that does not interfere with employees' rights to discuss their terms and conditions right. of employment. And this is a really key point I want to drive home for our listeners because I think that this is one of those areas where many, many, many employers are in violation. Oh, right? yeah. This is a whether whether it rises to the level of having a confidentiality agreement about talking about your wages with your coworkers in your personnel file, I think that's probably rare-ish. Yeah. There are many, many managers and even many employers that don't understand this part of the law oh, who will true. tell their employees, no, don't talk about that. Yeah, I'm going to give you a raise, but I'm not giving Bob a raise, so don't say anything to Bob, okay? It's actually an unlawful thing. Not okay. Because... If wind of that ever makes it to the National Labor Relations Board, they will come down on you like a ton of bricks. And you don't need to be a union employer for that to apply to you. The law right. applies across the right. board. And so many times I've heard from clients, well, we don't have unions, so it's not a big deal. Yeah, and I wrong. say, totally, totally wrong. The three cases that we talked about here, actually four cases when we, when we include Pier 60, all four came from non-union settings. Two had union campaigns ongoing, but the conduct happened before the union was in there. And the right. other two had no union around at all. Right. I mean, there's just a Hooters. They don't have a Hooters union. Right. So, yeah, you got to be really, really careful. The only way that so many people have gotten away with this type of stuff for so long is that employees did not know to go to the National Labor Relations Board. That is changing. And yeah. what we're finding, yeah. again, thank you, Internet is that employees go on to things like Reddit, where they discuss with other people like, hey, I'm getting screwed by my boss. What can I do? And then find that their boss is also talking about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hands up. What was it? Episode 22. Right. Um, so that happens. But they also get other, other employees that will say, hey, that sounds like something the National Labor Relations Board would, you know, not take kindly to. You should probably go file an unfair labor practice charge against your boss. And so we're seeing much, much more um, stuff out of the non-represented areas yes. in going in front of the National Labor Relations Board. And the board is super happy to take those cases because they want to be able to prove their continuing relevance in the American workplace. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if this is news to you, and even if it's not news to you, but you needed a little refresher on yeah. it, something to think about with your workforce Um and how you've trained your managers about this, because you might not say anything, and they might be doing it anyway. Oh, totally. And, and managers, you know, I've experienced this with clients where managers just want to create peace in the workplace. And they know one of the ways that people get crosswise with other employees is when they start talking about who makes more than somebody else. Yep. So they might have good intentions, but as we know, the road to hell is paved with those. So you got to be super careful. But the big lesson from today is that, you know, if it's done in a protected, concerted way, say fuck all you want. That's fuck, right. Fuck, fuckity, fuck, fuck, motherfucker. There you go. I don't find you particularly opprobrious. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> and on that note, we'll be right back. So that was a lot of fun, getting all those swear words out. That was great. Yeah. We'll, we'll have more coming. Yes. Okay. Bad but, pun. Um, Mark. Uh, oh, I didn't even. Dude. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well. In, in, Sorry. Be, reference to Mark's upcoming user story that yeah. I actually don't know what it is other than yeah. that. Okay. So, but we're not there yet. No. Maybe we should get there faster. I don't know. So let's um, let's do a quick. I so want to make it. That's what she said. Joke about that. I, but I'm, I'm gonna just, let it. I'm gonna. I'm let just it gonna go. set him up, I'm, and you knock him I'm down. I'm gonna take the high Dennis. road, and I'm not gonna say it. Too late. <laughs> I have a quick middle segment. Do you want to talk it. about that? I would love to. All right. So um, this is the case of Printergate. Printergate. So. Uh, some crazy facts here. Actually, the facts aren't that crazy. I mean, they are, but the outcome, I think, is what's yeah. crazy here. So, Lay it on us. Back in uh, 2013, 
some employees at a charter supply office, I think this is in Kentucky, were fired for taking home office computers. Um, what's alleged that happened is that uh, an administrator told each of these employees that they could take home printers and yeah, why not? just use them at home. And I, I don't know if it was implied that it's back. theirs, but, you know, I it oh, doesn't get okay. into that level of detail. But in some cases, this administrator even helped them carry the printers to their cars. They all get fired. Oh. A month later, an HR manager within the company is giving a PowerPoint presentation. Yes. In which he referred to the incident as Printergate and mentioned it alongside two other incidents dubbed Greenlight, in which an employee allegedly used a company credit card to make personal purchases, and Buzzkill, <laughs> in which former employees allegedly sold illegal drugs on charter property. Oh, my God. This the, the, the code names for these things reminds me of Enron. Yes. Like Death Star. Absolutely. Um, so Printer Gate. They, the fired employees sued Charter. Oh. For defamation. Oh. Okay. Amongst other things, but for defamation. And they contend that the use of the term Printer Gate in conjunction with references to employee theft and drug dealing implied that their actions were criminal. Oh. And this was not a criminal case in any way. So the case goes to a jury. Yeah. And the jury awards them $9.45 million. Oh, my God. For, for Printergate? For Printergate. The jury found that the company should pay $1 million in punitive damages to each of the former workers and an additional $350,000 for embarrassment, humiliation, and mental anguish. Oh, my God. Does that feel disproportionate to you? Let me put it this way. For $1.35 million, you can call me a crook. I, I, I'm willing to accept the deep humiliation, anguish, and everything else that goes along with it for $1.35 million. That's 3. insane. 5. Do you think that that's something that gets appealed? Oh, absolutely. Right? And gets remitted on appeal? One would hope. Remitted, just meaning, remitted meaning being reduced. lowered, reduced. That just seems insane. It's but crazy. Kentucky. Kentucky. So now we've, now we've hit Florida and Kentucky today. Yeah, we have. We've, we've you know. It's always the South. Southeast. Always the South. What's up, South? We love but you. We love you, South. There's a lesson to be learned there, I think. We, employment lawyers, love to joke around about our cases. Yes. I have a gate in my past. I actually have a case a case known amongst me and colleagues as Breastgate. Okay. Breastgate involved employees being fired for groping the breasts of a woman who was under anesthesia at the time. Oh. Female employees who were trying to decide whether or not her breasts had been surgically enhanced. That was reported by somebody who did not engage in the groping, thought it was inappropriate, blah, blah, blah. Union ended up filing a grievance. And internally, that became known as Breastgate. Now, we didn't put that on a PowerPoint presentation and display it to the whole wide world. And that's probably lucky. Right. Well, and in speaking of defamation claims, right, publication is one of the elements. It has to be published somewhere. Now, you can do that verbally or in writing, but it's right. much easier to prove it when it's in writing. Oh, totally. And a PowerPoint presentation is it writing. Yeah. And you guys did not do that. Although I just mentioned it on the podcast, so I think cat's out of the bag now. Fair enough. Fair enough. Bad, yeah. bad so on you. Me. Yeah. yeah, I think I'm okay. Um, I didn't say who was involved or where. But but your point's well taken. But my point, yeah, my point is that the way that we might talk about our cases or the way an HR professional might want to talk about his or her matters behind closed doors or in the company of your lawyer, and it would be a privileged communication with a lawyer anyway, so you can right. call it whatever you want. Right. That's fine, but once you start talking about those matters more publicly, you are exposing yourself to some potential defamation liability. Yeah. Of course, truth is a defense. True. So if if you know they actually had been stealing printers, 
you could say like, yeah, sorry, buddy, but you were stealing printers. The, the right. key here that is we that might it not have like, pressed charges or, yeah. or made it a criminal matter, but it didn't make it not criminal activity potentially. Right. So I don't know. Yeah, be careful out there. Thanks, Mark. Good story. No problem. So we'll be back with a doozy of a listener story right now or right after this break or, you know, whatever the great transition. We're so good at the transitions. We got to work on those. So over the last few days, Mark has been on Twitter with a bit of a teaser for us about what he promises to be the most epic listener-submitted story we have ever received. Yeah, now, I, I hate to kind of set the bar that high, but I, I actually think it might be. And Mark has informed me that it is of a somewhat risque nature. So somewhat the disclaimers that we <laughs> gave you before go double for this story. I actually don't know what the story is going to be other than that I needed to say that. Yes. So... With that intro, Mark, lay it on us. All right. Hi, Mark and Dennis. Hello. Hey, back. Um, My whole team was recently introduced to your podcast, and we've been listening nonstop. Thank you. Go team. Um, I've been told I have to share my story with you. So here it is in all its NSFW, not safe for work glory. Yeah. If you're listening to this at, at work, put on your headphones. Yeah. I've been in HR for several years now, but this is a story from my very first job in HR when I was 20 years old. I started as a receptionist slash office manager and had recently started taking on HR admin duties as the first actual HR human for the smallish company. That year, we had a holiday party at a swanky hotel. It always comes back always to the, the holiday, holiday party. parties. Just stop having them. No, please have many of them. Oh, yeah. Um, Thank I forget. We're yeah. kind of in the business. We're in the of business of telling these stories. Schadenfreude too. here. Yes. So we had our holiday party at a swanky hotel and had a pretty heavy drinking culture. <laughs> the CFO would often pop out of nowhere with a tray full of tequila shots and make everyone take one. Underage me included. I sobered up pretty quickly, though, when one of the hotel employees, employees pulled me aside to let me know that someone had projectile vomited in the men's room sink. Oh, God. Causing that a, might be time to stop ca- drinking. Causing a, and this is in quotes, devastating clog. Oh, no. I was told we'd be billed a fee and that the events team would be contacting me on Monday. Sure enough, on Monday, I had a voicemail asking for me to call back to discuss damages and fees from our party. Well, I guess it's time to talk about the puke, I thought to myself as I dialed the event coordinator's number. She answered and seemed genuinely, genuinely dismayed when I identified myself. She began, um, hi, yeah, so I call, called because, well, we need to discuss some major damages and fees from your event on Friday. Yes, I said, I'm aware of the clogs, clogged sink. What's the fee? Oh, no, this isn't about the sink. Oh, there were other damages, specifically um, some fluid on a painting in the restroom, which is valued at $10,000. What? Af- after I got over the fact that there was a $10,000 painting in a men's room. That, that is a great question right there. Yeah. I asked naively, geez. But swank restaurant. Yes, swanky hotel, yeah. right? So I asked naively, geez, how much vomit was there? It wasn't vomit. Oh, no. It was other fluids she had started to whisper and i could practically hear her cupping her hand over the phone so as not to be heard by her co-workers other fluids like water damage no other bodily fluids oh no i started to whisper too at this point urine no i was truly stumped i had no idea what other fluids she could possibly be talking about After stating flatly that I didn't understand, she groaned and reluctantly whispered, ejaculate. Oh, God. There was a significant amount of ejaculate on the painting. I was horrified. The restroom was only accessible by folks who were at our party, and there were no cameras showing who went in. So not only had an unknown coworker clogged a sink with puke, 
but one had masturbated and jizzed on a $10,000 painting. <laughs> oh, God. This is where when I was reading this, I quickly <laughs> sent you a note and I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. All right. As calmly as I could muster, I said I'd be speaking with my VP and get back to the coordinator. I practically ran to my boss's office, at which point I learned exactly how hard it is to tactfully describe this kind of damage in a professional setting. I never thought I'd have to look at my boss and say, we owe this hotel $10,000 because someone ejaculated on a painting in the bathroom during our holiday party. She seemed to there, take there the, should be a Sherm seminar on that. We could do that. We could do that. We should do that. That should be. I could do that without giggling. <laughs> you couldn't. I no. I could. I could land that. I. I could land. You think that so? Bird. Totally. I'd pay to see that. Um, she seemed to take the news far better than I did. Oh, good. She simply looked at me and said, matter of factly, "Well, sounds like you'll need to conduct an investigation." Oh no! 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 This is obviously a fireable offense, so we need to find out who did it. Go find out. What? Go find the bathroom masturbator. I asked how she suggested I go finding out whose ejaculate was on the painting. But she told me this was my job, not hers. So perhaps, <laughs> perhaps I should read the California HR handbook for guidance. Oh, no. At least we narrowed it down to a state. Unsurprisingly. <laughs> and it's not enough. the South. <laughs> Yeah, California. Go West Coast. Uh, Unsurprisingly, there was nothing in the book about determining who jizzed on a painting three days ago. You need a better policy. Right? Yeah. But at her prodding, I started to investigate, having incredibly painful one-on-one conversations with the men in the office, trying to understand timelines and who had seen what, and if anyone had heard anyone talking about pleasuring themselves to a painting of seashells. Seashell. You talk about prudish HR folks on your show ruining investigations, and I generally agree and have had many uncomfortable conversations in the rest of my career. But my God, looking at a man 30 years your senior in the eye and explaining that a large amount of semen was found on a restroom painting while trying to suss out whether it was his semen is awful. I can only imagine. And keep, she was 20. Right. Having the same conversation with 25 men is excruciating. Well, shocker here, no one admitted to doing it or knowing who did. The masturbator was either an incredible liar or had been so blackout drunk from his tequila that he truly didn't remember doing the deed. When I told my boss that I had no clue who did it and that I really couldn't continue to have these conversations, she was very frustrated with me. I was put on a formal performance improvement plan. What? The first and only pip in my career for failing to carry out my job duties as required and requested. That That is some bullshit right there. And was given the quote-unquote lazy entitled millennial speech. To this day. Wow. To this day, I am haunted. In spite of my years of gained experience, I still have no idea how I could possibly have determined who did it. I still have no idea what I would do if this happened to me today. I still see male ex-coworkers on my LinkedIn and think, was it you all those years ago? Oh, no. So what do you think? What else should I have done? Is there a lawyer-approved way to ask a man if he came on a painting? (laughs) Happy podcasting. P.S. For the love of God, don't use my name if you tell this story. And we won't. And we won't. Um, Jill from Ohio. <laughs> Kidding. Um, okay, so was I wrong in emailing you midway through reading that and saying, oh, my God, oh, my God? Rarely am I this close to speechless, but I am this close to speechless. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know what to say to that. That is phenomenal. I, 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 I should also note, as I'm looking at the email here, that she did title this with alternative titles of The Haunt of My HR Career or Fluids. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you, whose name we may not be used, I think you just titled our episode. <laughs> oh, man. I don't, I don't know what you reasonably could have done. The, I had one thought. I've got one. You go first. It's probably the same one. It's probably the same one. Ask the hotel if you can get a sample. Yep. And try to do some DNA testing. 
and the expense would probably outweigh the replacement cost of the, of the painting. painting. But you're not going to replace the painting. You're going to take it to one of those art dealers that like cleans the schmutz off of the Degas schmutz. or whatever. Schmutz. Yeah. It's the term of art. And you're going to go in and say like, yeah, I got an unusual job for you. But could you, <laughs> you know, remove this from a seashell? I bet they could. I bet they could too. You take you take a Q-tip and some no. alcohol, and it's gone. We have no idea just how much and how badly damaged the painting was. I think we have an idea. How <laughs> I mean, but it's you know, there there's some biology at work here. There's limits, probably. And but what painting of seashells is worth ten thousand? And who hangs that in a bathroom? Swanky. But put some glass over it. I know. I mean, I it's mean, still in a bathroom. It's there's it's just a, water splash. There's moist, there's all moisture, sorts of things that can happen always even mold, in a swanky bathroom. Even in a swanky bathroom. But that's like DNA testing is the only thing I can think of outside of what was done here. Oh, but here's here's an issue. If you did DNA testing, do you have a Gina issue? Do you have a Gina issue? And what do you do with the person that says screw you? I'm not going to let you swab my cheek. Yeah. Do you, do you just like, is this now mandatory DNA testing yeah, to find to out the mystery jizzer? And, and I, find a hair follicle or? I think, I, now we're going not. full Gattaca yeah, in right. the situation. Not cool. I, not cool. Not cool at all. So maybe that's not even a path. I'm not, I'm not sure it would really work out practically. Um, for a whole bunch of reasons. For well, practically whole... or legally, it might not be the best approach. Yeah. But in terms of like, there is a scientific way you could get to the bottom of it. Theoretically. Theoretically, there's a scientific path. Um, is it a criminal action? And do you involve the police and let them, you know, go through and see if people will volunteer to be swabbed? I mean, it's if you're damaging a $10,000 painting, no matter how you do it, that's got to be a criminal act of some sort, right? Yeah, you would think. Going back to law school, I think of the tort of trespass upon chattel. The um, do you know? I do. The uh, hotel, good one. the hotel could go after the individual, but who's going to want to do that when you can go after the business that booked their own? Well, especially when they don't know who the individual is. No, they're not going to go through that expense and bother. They're just going to tag you with it. So, right. I think giving the HR person some sort of reprimand for this That's is absurd. Is absurd. Absurd. You are and hereby I, I think, absolved by. Mark I think giving Dennis. the HR person this full responsibility of is investigating this is, odd, is equally absurd. That's right. Here's here's my rule of thumb: If I have to identify a mystery jizzer, I'm going to get an outside investigator. Probably wise. I, I think that's probably, all joking aside, Yeah, you do not want to have to put somebody in the position of going back to work with the people that they had to go through that investigation with. Right. That's just awful. Yeah. No, there's, there's so many things wrong about that. But it's a great story. But you know story. what's not wrong? The story. The story, the story was brilliant. And while we can't use your name and obviously wouldn't, we are eternally grateful for that. And all the other great listener stories. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I, I will say that after pleading with all of you over the last few episodes, we have gotten a handful of new stories in. So that's great. That does not mean I will not continue to plead with you to send us more. No. At stories at HWE podcast. Um, I'll put. Dot the, com. Thank you, hwepodcast.com. And I'll put the challenge out there. Beat that story. Beat that story. The bar has no been pun intended. So, oh, God. No. <laughs> God, sorry. I had to end it somehow. Oh. No, beat that story. Yep. Beat that story. <laughs> and while it's a high bar, we know it can be beat. We also know you've got some stories that might not be that good, but that are still pretty good. So send yes. them anyway. Don't feel like you only need to hit stories that, yeah. that hit that level um, will will make it on the air. I'm I'm still kind of just appalled. Yeah, you're just processing for the first time. I, I've been having to hold on to that yeah, for a week. You've had a week to deal with this. This is like nightmare fuel. Anyway, um, this was a really long episode, wasn't it? Th this may set records, but I think it was well worth it. Yeah. Before we um, before we let people go, a couple other quick announcements. Yeah. One, follow us on Twitter at HWE Podcast. Yes, it is full of mirth. Yeah. 
It's, it's, I, I have to say, I've been very impressed with your Twitter handlage. Well, thank you. I've been, I've been trying hard. Good. Um, something else that's a very important announcement. Yes. We have for some time had a Patreon campaign going to help fund the day-to-day expenses of running this podcast. I've heard of that. Many of you have participated, and yes. thank you very much. We couldn't do this without you. Well, we could, but our wives would be angrier than they are. Um, in appreciation for everybody who has been supporting us via Patreon, we will be increasing the amount of patron-only content that we are putting out there. We have one patron-only episode that's up right now. We're going to be putting up several more in the near future. Just our way of saying thanks to the people that do that. If you want to become a Patreon patron, whatever that role is called. Become a patron. Become a patron at www.patreon.com slash H-W-E. Three simple letters, H-W-E. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, everybody who's done that. Thank you for listening, even if you don't uh, contribute a measly dollar a month. Um, We love you anyway. Yes, we do. Just not as much as we love other people. We love everybody. We just love some people a little more. The people who send us stories like that one. Uh, Yes, you don't need to donate a dime. You just made our day. So thanks. We will be back in a week with a significantly less profane episode. (laughs) I swear to God, it will be ejaculate free. Okay, let's see if we can keep that promise. All right. See you next week. Bye. Bye. If your killer instincts are not clean and strong, you will hesitate at the moment of truth. You will not kill. You will become dead, Marine. And then you will be in a world of shit. Because Marines are not allowed to die without permission. Do you maggots understand? Sir! Yes, sir!